Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sandspence Radio, Boston, your nan's chops. Can I ask you a question? Where'd you get that mattress? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right off the side of a road, you say? That's disgusting. Well, with Casper Mattress, you receive $50 towards any mattress purchase. Just go to caspertrial.com forward slash sanspants, one word, no caps, and enter the promo code 50sleep. That's caspertrial.com forward slash sanspants, and use the promo code 50sleep. Terms and conditions apply. Whoa, just before the show starts, I just thought I'd take this time to let you know why I sound so tired. That's because the Plumbing Boys just got back from Sydney, and boy gosh, we did it. We killed the live show and got real scared in Sydney, and now we're back home in Melbourne. And to celebrate, we are going to do a live show here in Melbourne to welcome ourselves back. It will be on November 4 at the Eureka Hotel in Richmond. Tickets are available if you check out the show notes below. Otherwise, if you head to our Facebook page, we've got an event set up. You can click attending. You can buy tickets from there. You can ask us questions. You can hassle us. It's great. I'm so glad to be home. Sydney, you were great, but Ibis are scary and there's lots of them and they're real big. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Movie Maintenance, where some films just need pitching and sort of fixing. Today, we're looking at the Psycho franchise. This is the Gabe Hour. Let me talk about how much I love Psycho. But first, let's talk about how much everyone else loves Psycho. Well, I've seen um, the first. I've seen the first one, and it's quite a time. Go on, Tom. I've seen two of them. Oh, good. Yeah, I I watched Psycho too. What's the second one that you've seen, Tom? Psycho two. Oh, I've it. also seen Does Gus Van Sant's Shop a Shop remake with, with Vince Vaughn? Vaughn? No, it doesn't. I've seen little bits of that. So who's is it? Vince Vaughn and um. Who? Vince Vaughn, Julian Moore, um, and Hesh is oh, Marion Crane. That's right, yes. Yeah. And there's the scene which Zamet loves bringing up where you, during the shower scene, she bends over and you very clearly see her asshole. Like, like very clearly. I didn't because I only seen it shot? once. It's not quite shot for shot because you, <laughs> you don't see not quite. <laughs> in, a little addition. In Psycho from 1960, really you definitely do not see any anus. Yeah. But um, <laughs> on that note. Like, there's implied anus. There's implied anus. You know what? Okay, two of the best psycho things ever. The story of when when the original film came out, Alfred Hitchcock did like a promo video of him giving a tour. Oh, it's amazing! Oh, it's so good. And there's two amazing bits in it. There's one where he just walks into the bathroom, lifts up the toilet lid, which isn't on camera, just points at it and goes, "There's a there's a very good clue in there," and then just walks (laughs) out of the bathroom. 
And then he gets to the stairs and goes, and this is the stairs where them, you know, happens. Oh, it's great. Have you seen his um right. his trailer for the birds? Yes. Where it's um it's Hitchcock and he's in this like big house and he's like, I'm going to make a movie about the birds. Now let me tell you about man's relationship with the birds. It's always been a very respectful relationship. We've always given each other as two different species a lot. And as he's doing this, he's walking around and there's like one of those old hats with a vulture on it. There's like, um, he's eating a chicken. There's like, you know, feather dusters. There's all this like, and there's like stuffed birds everywhere. And he's basically talking about how man has always really respected the birds and how, you know, there's a lot of sort of mutual love between man and the birds with like all this evidence of just birds being fucked over by humans all the way. It's really, really funny. And then it kind of ends with a couple of shots from the film of birds eating people. But imagine, imagine if Alfred Hitchcock did trailers to like, imagine going to Comic-Con, right? And it's like, we're going to do the Justice League trailer now. And it just cuts. And there's Hitchcock going, um, now this is this is the, the bat. And uh, this is the man. And uh, together they'll... Mm, and, uh, they'll <laughs> uh, and over here is the fish and the man. And he's pretty fishy. And uh, this is the quickness. See, I love I love just, like, how much delight he... Like, even in the Psycho trailer when he's walking into the bathroom, he's like, you know, he's got a bit of a clue, and he's like, and the shower where the first murder happens, and, oh, there's so much blood. And just and then when he's talking about the stairs, he's like, and he fell down the stairs, and I believe as he fell down the stairs, and he hit the bottom at the right angle, and the spine sort of... And it starts, like, giving this really graphic description of, like, what happened to the body. It's... No, it's brilliant. He's brilliant. But Psycho 2... I've seen it. I know, and I and I know you disagree with me on it, and I don't understand why. Oh, just I'm like, why? Oh, all I've ever heard about it is that it's complete garbage. <laughs> no, it's okay. Can I can I talk to you guys? You guys haven't seen it, and yeah. a lot of people listening probably haven't either. Okay, the thing about Psycho Two, if it was just Psycho One and Psycho Two, it would be. I think, like, the first one obviously is a Stone Cold classic and you can't dispute that. I think without Psycho 2 being lumped in with the rest of the sequels, it would get a lot more appreciation. See, I've never seen any of the other sequels. Okay, you, and don't. Like, you don't need to. I'll talk a bit about them. But, like, basically Psycho 2 is 22 years later. The fun backstory to Psycho 2 is that when the first one came out and was a huge hit, everyone was like, Hitchcock, hey, let's make a sequel. And Hitchcock flat out refused. He was like, no, it's just the first one. That's it. And he refused, like, no matter what, to make a sequel to Psycho. 21 years after Psycho came out, Hitchcock died. 22 years after Psycho came out, Psycho 2 came out. So... Sure, his estate was like, no, don't do it. No, no, they did it. But, but the thing no, is, like, they were probably like, the guy who directed it, it yeah. Richard yeah. Franklin, was like a big Hitchcock. Like, he, was, he actually studied under Hitchcock and was like, had worked with him. I think he was a second unit director on a couple oh, of so things. Oh, so he's a bit of a dickless trader. So, sorry? <laughs> he's a bit of a dickless trader. He's uh, no, what you guess. would call a... Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like him instantly. <laughs> there you go. But so basically what I – and I rewatched Psycho 2 last night in preparation for this and I'd forgotten how fucking good it was. Like it's – I actually think there's a bit of a general understanding of Norman Bates as quite a sympathetic character. And if you watch the first one, you definitely see that in the first se- – the scene between him and Marion Crane in the parlour and things like that. But past that, you know, he's being dodgy and covering up for his murdering mum. So, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think Norman Bates in the first film is – likable in the second film i really really think he is because basically what you've got it's 22 years later he gets out of the psychiatric institute he's essentially cured they announce him cured and the sister vera miles's character lila crane who's now married to the boyfriend from the first film she's like starting a petition and she's like trying to get them to stop him from coming out and basically norman just wants to go back to his life and just forget it ever happened so he goes back to his motel. He finds out his motel is being run as like a sex motel for <laughs> young couples. He gets really angry. He sort of kicks everyone out because he's quite conservative and old fashioned and everything. And basically starts working this local diner and he just wants to get his life back on track. And he forms this relationship with this young girl who works in the local diner. And she's like, How young? Lost. 
Sorry? How young? She's about 25 Four, or something. Okay. Legal. Um, okay, legal. No, I was double checking because, you know, so. You know, it's, it's, Gabe's it's, telling me that he's a you know, synthetic no, it's, character it's, now. And I it's a very, that. very tender, like, it's not it's not really romantic. It's I'm more like a sort of two lost souls connecting I wanted kind of to thing. believe that he was reformed. And basically, they just sort of, but like, there's this really beautiful scene where, you know, she's, he's asking her to stay in the house because she doesn't have anywhere to go. And she's obviously kind of a bit scared of him. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. I've got places to go. And he sort of says to her, what if I told you I needed you to stay? Because I haven't been in this house alone in 22 years, and I don't, I don't want to spend the night alone. Oh, I still wouldn't and stay. It's no, she <laughs> does, but she like she barricades the door, and, all, and there's a scene where you know he oh. like goes and sleeps downstairs on the couch. He obviously wants her to be comfortable, yeah. and she's upstairs, but she's like barricaded the door, and it's like. She's clever. But then as it goes on, you know, you get her sort of realizing that he is actually okay, but he keeps getting these phone calls basically pretending to be his mother and like oh. notes from his mother and all this stuff. And he's losing it. Like, and he's so, so scared that he's going crazy again. And what you slowly learn is that it's the sister of the victim mm. from the first film, basically trying to drive him crazy again to get him put away. And the young girl is her daughter who she has enlisted to get oh. in there, get close to him and fuck him up. Shit. And the two of them are working to drive Norman crazy. And once you realize that you feel so horribly sorry for Norman. It sounds because incredible. Why do people it's say really it's a garbage film? And I just didn't like it. I, just, as, I, don't, I don't know what it was. I just was like... No, fair enough. What's but the critical consensus? Generally, really good. Generally, okay. like, when it first came out, it didn't have amazing reviews. Yeah. There are a lot of retrospective articles you'll find now of cool. people saying Psycho 2 is an underrated classic. Right. And as it goes on, basically, what it has one of the most heartbreaking endings. So the whole film, you're watching Norman trying so hard to cling on to his sanity. And, of course, the young girl, Mary, she slowly sort of realises that she's doing the wrong thing. And she comes around to his side and she sort of rejects her mother. But meanwhile murders are still happening. People keep dying, particularly people who seem to cross Norman, like the manager who turned the motel into like a sex motel. He goes down. A couple of teenagers who break into the house, they go down. And then there's this scene where Lila Loomis is realizing that Norman's like really close to cracking. And so she breaks into the house to dress as his mother and start fucking with him. And then somebody comes and knifes her through the mouth. And it's this really horrifying scene. You're like, so what the fuck's going on? And then it all kind of escalates. And finally Norman starts to lose it. And he becomes convinced that like his mother is coming back. His mother is alive and she's looking out for him. And so Mary, the young girl, like tries to convince him and she gets out the mother costume and dresses in it. She says, look, it's been me. It's been me the whole time. And Norman's like, that's okay, mother. That's okay. You're back. You're back. You're back. And she's kind of losing it. And as she's, She's, like, running down the stairs, like, uh, with a knife trying to hold him at bay, and he's sort of following her, not trying to hurt her, just trying to say, you have to hide, mother, you have to hide because they're going to come for you. She goes to the basement, she sees the body of her own mother, and she loses it, and as she tries to stab Norman, the police come in and they shoot her down. And so basically her and her mother take the blame for it. Norman kind of goes back to it, and everyone's like, oh, Norman, you're innocent. And then as Norman's, like, he's sitting at home and he's having a sandwich, and there's a knock on the door, and there's this old woman who was working with him in the diner, and she sort of comes in and she sits down and she tells him that basically she is actually his mother, that like she was the sister of his real mother and he was taken from her at birth because she was troubled and that basically she's been killing people throughout the whole film because she didn't want people to drive Norman crazy again. She wanted to protect him. And as she tells him that, Norman's like, yep, yep, and he's listening. And then he sort of gives her a cup of tea and she starts drinking and she starts choking and Norman takes her down with a shovel. Oh. And then as he does that, he, like, carries her body up the stairs and he's like, you're very tired, mother, time to go to bed. And then she starts talking to him as mother again. And basically what is so fucked and heartbreaking about this film is the whole film is Norman trying so hard to hold on to sanity. And in the end, the world can't actually cope with him being okay again. And he gets driven back to it. And it's it's actually devastating. It's actually really, really devastating. See, my, my issue isn't necessarily, like, so those elements of the story, I, I, I was like, they're good. You know, yeah. It's the it's the, the the bits of the plot that are just like ridiculous. Like what? Like the <laughs> fact that there's a woman in a diner that's his actual mother. It's like 
Yeah, but I don't. Come I don't on, mate. Really... I bought into it. Yeah, well, you're a muppet. What's wrong with you, <laughs> handsome Tom? I don't that like sounds Psycho like too. an incredible film. I don't like Psycho too. Okay, mm. there's a lot well, of weird plot points that just that just kind of look, too, it's a bridge too far for me. No, that, that's fair enough. Like, I I think it kind of works. I think it gets more absurd in because then like Psycho three came out late. And Psycho three. What's the is, is it now? Which one's the tagline with the absurd tagline? Is it two or is it three? Is three the one where it's like Norman Bates is back to normal, but mother's off her rocker again? That's right. That's, that's it. three. <laughs> yeah. That's it. No, three is um. Three was directed by Anthony Perkins, and three's it's actually one thing I thought of when I was like putting this together was it's actually weird how closely the Psycho franchise in some ways parallels the Hannibal franchise because you've got the classic. But hang on, hang on, bear with me. Don't make that face in your handsome Tom. <laughs> Don't you twist your handsome face into that into okay, that okay, gargoyle thing? <laughs> but like, but it's weird because you've got the classic beloved original in Science of Lambs or Psycho, the first one. Then just to switch, switch around a bit, you've got the underrated gem, which is Psycho Two or Manhunter in Hannibal's case. Manhunter's yep. beautiful. You've got Manhunter's the right. Manhunter's amazing. You've got the one that tries to do something really interesting and doesn't quite work, which is Psycho 3 and the movie, really Scott Hannibal, the movie. You've got the one that's okay but not really anything special, which is Red Dragon and Psycho 4. And then you've got the really unloved piece of shit, which is the Psycho remake and Hannibal Rising. And then you've got the cult TV show. Yeah. Which is Bates Motel and Hannibal. Do you know what, though? That show just doesn't do it for me either. Okay, you know what I think is – and this is why I like Psycho 2, I think – there's a really beautiful tendency in the Psycho franchise to put a twist on the original. So in the second one, it's the idea that Norman Bates is actually saying it's the rest of the world that's crazy. In Bates Motel, the TV show, and once I realized this was the premise of it, I actually bought into it a lot more. And it's not a great show. It's no Hannibal. But it's got this really beautiful idea where in all the films, it was always we were always trying to... They tried to convince us that basically Mother was this crazy... She's described in the first film as a clinging, demanding woman. And the idea is that she sort of drove Norman crazy. What the TV show postulates is that Mother, as played by Vera Farmiga, is actually a really lovely person. And she's a bit batty and she's a bit loopy and she's had a really tough life. And all she's trying to do is raise her son. And there is something very wrong with her son. And the tragedy of that show, which I think is really beautiful is watching this woman trying to protect him and trying to shield him from the world and doing everything she can and in the process not getting him the help he needs and in the process not actually helping him get to the bottom of his problems and being too clingy and too close that whenever she tries to break away, he can't handle it. And it's actually this kind of beautiful tragedy where you know where it's going to end. You know that he's going to kill her and she'll end up mummified in his basement. But how it gets there is, I think, really clever and really not how we expect. Um I mean, it's yeah, it's not an amazing, but the, the fourth season, which just finished, was really, really good. I it's think the fourth season is the mum still alive? Like? She died at the end of the fourth season, <laughs> and the way spoilers, I'm never watching it again. The way it happened, well, you, I mean, so come dumb. on, you know oh, it's going to fucking happen. <laughs> yeah. We've all seen yeah. Psycho, you know where it's going to. Can I watch it? But what what they do beautifully in the show is that they <laughs> they do it so that Norman people start. Norman is killing people in the show by this point. And the mother suspects it, How but old is sort he, of blind to it. He's season... about 18. Oh, okay. By this point, 18, 19. Is it that Freddie Highmore? Freddie Highmore. He's very good. He's very, very good. Yeah. And sort of what happens is that Norman realises that the person killing people is either him or his mother, and he keeps sort of seeing his mother coming and talking to him, and it's in his head. And basically he realises that either way he can't live with it, so he attempts to kill them both by flooding the house with carbon monoxide. But he survives and she dies, oh. which adds more to the tragedy because it, Ooh, that's actually fairly <sighs> brutal. So they're going to do a yeah. fifth season, yeah, and they're doing the plot of the the original with get this Rihanna as Marion yeah, Crane. Cool, okay. Yeah. You know, season four sold me. Battleship. Now I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> hey, Battleship is a solid <laughs> six and a half out of ten. 
Alexander Skarsgård's on a boat. Rihanna's there. Did any boats sink? Uh, yeah. A couple. Oh. At least. Liam Neeson's in it, right? Liam Neeson is in it. And did you say Skarsgård? Skarsgård, yeah. Oh. And and you'll you'll okay, you'll you'll be just uh, okay, yeah. Uh, Taylor Kitsch. Well, why does that affect me at Friday all? Friday Night Lights, mate. Yeah, he's good in that and nothing else. Yeah, he's ever. all right in Battleship. He's pretty good in John Carter. John I like Carter's John a little Carter. underrated. <laughs> yeah, so I agree. Yeah. I wouldn't. It bombed because it was a massive box office flop. Flop, and it cost a lot of money and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's all right. It's not a shit film. It's okay. It's okay. Taylor Kitsch, though. Hell of a gambit. <laughs> oh. Can I just say, the problem with Taylor Kitsch is that he can only ever be, um, what's his name from Friday Night Lights? Timmy, Tim Riggins. That's, he can never That's, be anyone yeah, else. No, I completely agree In with everything you. I've seen him in, he's basically just a softer version of Riggins. Yes. Just on Gambit. But even just um, on Gambit. Yeah, just on the topic of Gambit. Before we jump into something. Before we, yeah. Yeah. Before we circle <laughs> back right, to the point of this thing. We'll get, we'll get there. Channing Tatum. No, thanks. Is it actually? I brought this up the other day, and I said, oh, Channing Tatum's going to be Gambit in an episode we did a while ago. Yeah. And you both were like, nah, it's not confirmed. And then I felt like a fucking idiot. Is it confirmed? Though? Like, I don't even but know. But now you're bringing it up like it's a thing. Well, no, because they, they keep talking about it, you know. Is it a thing? Oh, is probably. It a thing? Is it a thing? Anyway, Psycho. Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just wanted Channing to note, my, I just wanted to note my displeasure. Psycho. Norman Bates isn't in my Psycho. Oh. What are you pitching? Is this a sequel Hang on. to Psycho? Yes. It's a, okay, psycho. so bit of context. I'm pitching a Psycho movie. I'm pitching the Psycho movie I want to make. And it's sort of a Psycho 5, but mm, sort of not. Is it a bit like your so, Nightmare film being like just a Nightmare film? No, it's, it's more of a direct sequel. Like it's, it's written in a way that it... Okay, look, I mean, it... It definitely adheres to the continuity of the four films, but the problem is the four films themselves don't really adhere to the continuity. Gotcha. Like, Psycho 3 follows on really closely, but Psycho 3 is pretty much like the plot of it is Norman Bates is killing people in the house again, and he's killing... It's basically like an 80s horror film, except there's also this like nice redemption storyline, but then there's a studio-enforced ending that kind of undercuts the redemption storyline, and it's a bit of a mess, but it's... Carter Burwell does the score, which is nice. Hey. Was that the same actor? That yeah, oh, Anthony Perkins. He's amazing in all four films. Can I say the thing about Anthony Perkins is like he never got to do anything else. No, he but did he's... Psycho and that was it. But he's it very, very race. good in all four films. Well, but Because apparently it was this whole thing, like first of all there was that people didn't want to hire him because he was possibly gay. He was. He died of AIDS. And then, well, back then that wasn't well known. Yeah, yeah. But then it was we can't hire him either because if we put him as a leading man, everyone would be like, oh, it's Norman Bates. So he was kind of cursed yeah, forever. But you know what? Like, I, I think he, I think if there's one thing that I think grounds all four Psycho movies for all the flaws is his performance. And I mean, look, no shade to Freddie, Freddie Highmore and lots of shade to Vince Vaughn. Anthony Perkins is Norman Bates. Vince Vaughn is the greatest actor of our generation. Particularly period. when playing Norman Bates. Who's that actor that played Perkins in the Anthony Hopkins one? Uh, James really Darcy. Because he was good. Yeah, he, if I had to cast yeah, him on Norman do, Bates. Yeah, he was, yeah. he, is he in Agents of Agent Carter? Yeah, he's, um, he's Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah. yeah. He's, okay. he's terrific. He's a, he's a, I he's, like him. Yeah. So there's no Norman Bates guy. No. Okay. So so a bit of little bit of context about Are you this. Gender bendering it with Norma Bates. No, I'm not. Okay. It's, good. So look, Norma Bates is the name of his mum, by Are the you way. Against women or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Norman and Norma Bates. I just do. Yeah. 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 Um. So what a lot of people don't know about Psycho is that it's actually based on a novel, oh. and there's a trilogy of novels. So the first one's more or less the same as the film, with a couple of really key differences. Firstly, Norman Bates is really fat and in his 40s and just a really unpleasant perv from the start. So you're pretty much like he's probably a killer. And Marion Crane actually dies in the third chapter and gets her head cut off in the shower scene. There's a line which is like the knife cut off her scream and her head. That's an actual <laughs> line in Psycho the novel. Beautiful. But outside that, the sequel was actually really diverged. It was actually a spin-off novel 
written that I got an advanced copy of when I was in America and read it in like one sitting about Norman in the asylum between Psycho 1 and Psycho 2, which was pretty cool. But in terms of the original sequel, it was written by Robert Block. The sequel, Psycho 2, is nothing like the film. Basically, it's like Norman Bates gets out, he breaks out of jail. It's actually, it's a really ugly book. Like, Norman Bates breaks out of jail, he murders and rapes a nun, and then runs away, dresses the nun, which is so out of character for Norman. But anyway, and then he goes to Hollywood to stop a film that's being made about him, and it's all about his psychiatrist chasing him and trying to stop him, and then it turns out that Norman Bates actually died at the start, and Norman Bates the whole time has been the psychiatrist who spent so long with Norman Bates. Is it written by Alan Moore? No, it's written by... um, (laughs) It's actually written by Robert Block, the original author. And Do you know what would be great if that version of the film was made by the Cohen brothers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I would watch the ever-loving shit um, out of them. And then there's a third book, which is called Psycho House. And it's basically the premise is that the Bates Motel is reopened as a museum in like the 90, early 90s when it was written. Cool. And then murders start happening. And it's, it's a really flat, boring book. But I'm actually taking the plot of Psycho House and making it good. Hey, so it's a bit okay. of book maintenance, but I'm tying it into the continuity of the films. Cool. I'm on board. Um, so... Basically, the way the Psycho films ended, and what I kind of like about Psycho 4 is that it doesn't make any sense because Norman goes back to jail at the end of the third film for killing more people. And then the fourth film is like, oh, yeah, I got out again after those murders four years ago. And it's like, that would not happen. But so there's a bit of postulation that Psycho 4 was meant to be a direct sequel to the original that ignored 2 and 3. But it sort of addresses 2 and 3. But Psycho 4 is like Norman Bates is having a kid and he's really, really terrified that because his mum was crazy and he was crazy that there's going to be something wrong with the kid. And basically, he's convinced that he has to kill his wife and kill the kid. And as he? he's dealing with this, it's showing flashbacks to his own childhood. Right so on. you get basically the plot of Bates Motel. Does he kill flashback. the kid? No, he doesn't. In the end, he realises that he has to let go of his past and his good, wife good, helps good. him move on. Who and, marries him? Uh, his psychiatrist <laughs> from the psych ward. <laughs> Who um, marry him? But I'm actually going to get into that a little bit because cool. it doesn't make any sense that he would get out of jail again after four years, but I'm going to try to tie it in. So is that plot you just said, is that the plot of Psycho 4, the film? The film, yeah. There was no novel. That's the film. The film was a novel, totally different continuity. So what I'm doing, if this makes sense, is that I'm taking the plot of the third novel and turning that roughly, very, very loosely, just the basic premise of the Bates Museum and there are murders happening around it, into a fifth film. Great. Following on from Psycho 4. As you might have gathered from other pictures I've done, I, I I really love me a film about legacy. I mean, if I hadn't already done Jaws Legacy and Saw Legacy, this would be Psycho Legacy. But uh, Legacy's a good theme. Shut up. It's a theme that works. And the case of Psycho is the only one that does because I'm not casting a different Norman Bates. Anthony Perkins was Norman Bates, and we're sticking with that. Is he still alive? No, he died. Oh, yeah, he died. You literally yeah, just said he died. died right? Age, yeah. Tom. Age. Oh. And he died right after Psycho 4. Um, and also, I also don't really believe in turning Norman Bates into this recurring Freddy Jason-style villain, because in the case of Hannibal, it's like, it's an overarching operatic saga that you can continue. In the case of... When he's often not the bad guy. And exactly. And like, the case like of twice. your Freddies, your Jasons, it's just the same film every time, rinse, repeat. In the case of Norman Bates, the only reason Norman Bates works, and this is why Psycho 3 and 4 are nowhere near as good as 1 and 2, is because he's not... He, he doesn't mean to hurt anyone. He's not a bad guy. He's actually a good guy with a fucked up head. And the idea of driving him crazy again, to me, is really boring. We've seen it, you know, three times in Psychos 1, 2, and 3, and Psycho 4 resolved it without it happening again, even though we saw it in flashbacks. And I don't... It's not his fault. I don't need to see that again. He's a shit magnet. Sorry? He's a shit magnet. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to lean a bit into the tragedy of that. So, basically, 
I want to open this film very similarly to the opening credits of the first film. So, you know, the theme song, the, you know, you know that one with yeah, the bars yeah. going across the screen, like oh, nice. in black and white again. So we're going to open with that and with the theme song and the bars flash across the screen, but it's going to play out a little bit differently because as it's going along, the bars and the lines are making really sharp turns and they appear to be forming a shape. And as they do that, we pull out and the music crescendos and it's the shape of the house. And as it pulls out, we see that that house is on a sign. And that sign is, it's an, a part of an illustration on a sign, the Bates Museum of the Macabre. Okay. And as we pull out, we see beyond the sign, we see the motel and we see stark against the night sky, the house itself. So we follow two teenagers, a guy and a girl into the motel. And they're, you know, typical teenagers. They're, this is set in the present day, by the way. Okay. So they're giggling and they're talking about how a friend's dad had told them the museum couldn't afford security. So they're going to sneak in and all this stuff. The museum had spent all its money getting, getting everything together for the opening, which is in a few days' time. And so they're stumbling in and, you know, they force their way into the room of the the room of the hotel where Marion Crane was killed and there's like maybe a really tacky animatronic version of mother and things like that and they're looking at that and they're laughing at it and they keep walking and then the girl's like hey let's uh, let's go up to the house and the guy starts getting a bit nervous but the girl's like oh come on there's no one here it's fine like whatever and it's all been rebuilt because like, the house got burnt down in Psycho Force so this okay. is a rebuilt replica cool. and she's like oh no you know there's no one here it's fine we'll go in so they walk up to the house and they break a window and they get in and they start walking around and, you know, they're making out a bit and maybe they're, like, smoking a bit of weed and stuff and they go and they start walking up the stairs and the guy's starting to really freak out and the girl's like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, come on, let's go have a look, go have a look. And they get to the top of the stairs and they start walking over to Norman Bates's room and very slowly they go towards it and they open the door and you can imagine the theme song, the knife out of the darkness, the screams, the dun, 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 dun. And we cut to a town council meeting. And we're in the middle of a last-minute appeal against the opening of the museum by a local group that's strongly opposed. And this is where we meet Kevin. He's the elderly head of the movement. He's probably in his 70s. He's an old man. He's crotchety. He's conservative. He likes things staying just the way they are. And basically, he's making this impassioned speech about how opening this museum is going to draw attention back to this town, which is Fairvale in the films. Yeah. And basically, this attention the town has avoided ever since Norman Bates left back in the early 90s. And he hasn't been seen since. And the house burnt down, and they've avoided that. And quite apart from all of that, do they really want to be known as a town that profits? from the losses of other people and as he speaks this young woman enters from the back of the hall and she takes a seat this is amy she's our protagonist and she takes out a notebook and she starts writing but the expression on her face tells us very clearly that she would rather be literally anywhere else and so kevin finishes speaking and now we meet bridget bridget's a stern middle-aged woman and she gets up she starts talking and she's the chairman of the group behind the museum's construction and Bridget, you know, she's tough, she's no nonsense and basically she starts reeling off all these facts and figures about the economic benefits of the museum and basically, if we think back to the first psycho where Norman Bates, the reason the motel was struggling is because the highway was moved away from the motel. And basically, the motel was like really off the beaten track. And that's why nobody goes there. Imagine that basically all that reconstruction has kept going. And now the highway has gone way away from the town itself. So this town is dying. Basically, the town's off the beaten track. There's no money coming in. There's no tourism. There's no nothing. And they need some kind of economic boost. And this is a desperate last-ditch attempt. If we build this motel, we build this museum bring people back in, capitalise on the legacy of Norman Bates and the psycho murders, we might give this town the boost it needs. Build it and they will come and it will be great. Exactly. Even if it's spooky and fucked up. So, look, basically the session ends and the town council rules in favour of the museum going ahead because they're days away from opening, it's too late to do anything about it. This was the last appeal and it was never going to work. So we see the quiet satisfaction of Bridget and we see the frustrated anger of Kevin. And at the back, Amy's watching very bored. Council disperses and Amy attempts to approach Bridget. She starts explaining she's a reporter, she's here from the city, she's here to cover the opening of the museum and all the controversy surrounding it and Bridget won't speak to her. So Amy goes and talks to Kevin instead and Kevin's rambling on and on about how wrong it all is and they arrange a time to meet. Kevin gives her, her his number and Amy really clearly could not care less. 
And as everybody leaves, Amy's approached by this handsome man in his 40s. This is Hank. He's the owner of a local newspaper. And he's very much a Cary Grant type, like a classic Hitchcock hero. Like, I want to sort of have a few hark backs to real classic mm-hmm. 50s Hitchcock-style filmmaking Jimmy here. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, one of those types, you know? And basically, he mentions that he overheard her talking and says, you want to talk? He's the owner of a local newspaper. How about a coffee? And Amy checks her watch, and she's like, it's past midday. How about a beer? So Amy and Hank get talking in a bar, and it's fun, witty banter. It's very, like, North by Northwest, you know? So you've got Hank, who's your Cary Grant type. You've got Amy. She's the quintessential Hitchcock blonde. They talk, and we get to know them. And so we get to know Amy. She's very smart. She's very witty. She's got a cutting sense of humor, and she's extremely ambitious, but she's very frustrated because her editor keeps giving her shit jobs, and she knows she's better than that. She wants to cover the big stuff. She does not want to cover the opening of this tacky-ass museum. Hank, on the other hand, is way more down-to-earth and humble. You know, he writes articles to keep the town happy, and he gets his kicks from how delighted people are seeing their name in print, you know? So, of course, Amy asks him, so basically, you want to make people happy. How are you going to cover the controversy about the museum? And Hank shrugs. He hasn't figured it out yet. The fact is, it's a complicated issue, and he can see both sides. So Amy presses him. She's like, if you had to come down on one side or the other, which would it be? And as Hank opens his mouth, they're interrupted by sirens. Several police cars and ambulance are racing past. Amy and Hank look at each other, and they hurry to follow. They drive in Hank's car until they arrive at the Bates Motel. Police are everywhere. Amy and Hank start asking questions, and it becomes clear that two teenagers have been found stabbed to death in the rebuilt house. So, of course, things blow up, and the town is going crazy, and suddenly Amy is no longer covering a tacky curiosity story. She's covering a murder. So we see a divided town that is becoming even more divided. Because Kevin's people are trying to claim that there is proof, that this is proof of the sort of thing they're complaining about. Now there's talk of closing the museum from some angles, but from others there are whisperings that it's even more important now that the museum opens. New murders will draw more attention and the town needs an injection of money. People are very, very desperate. I cannot stress this enough. So Amy gets a call from her boss and despite herself, she's really excited, but her boss tells her she's not going to cover the murder. They're going to send more experienced journalists to do that. Amy will stay in town, and if the museum does go ahead and open, which is kind of unclear at this point, she can cover that. No ifs, no buts. Amy's really pissed off, but there's not much she can do. She heads out to a local bar with every single intention of getting absolutely shit-faced. And she arrives there, and at the bar, she meets a young man about her age. He's by himself, he's having a beer, and he seems quite drawn and distracted. He and Amy, his name's Jack. Him and Amy get talking about general stuff, and it's, you know, charming, light, slightly drunk banter. And eventually the museum comes up, and Amy admits that she hates the idea of the place. She thinks it's exploitative, and while she understands the thinking behind it, these victims were real people, and they should be left in peace. And the young man, Jack, smiles. He says everyone involved was a victim. Everybody involved is a real person. And this story isn't some fun fiction. This is people's lives, and lives that were ruins. Oh, take that, Amy. Amy's a bit stuck by that. The next morning, a hungover Amy's woken up by a call from Hank. He's just heard from a contact in town at the local police station that they found a lead. Norman Bates's son is in town. So. Jack. Amy's stunned and hurries to meet Hank. They head to the police station to find that he's already been questioned and leaving, and of course, it's Jack. Oh. Norman's yeah. son, who has Call not been Hank. in town in years, but mysteriously yeah. has turned up right around the time this museum has opened and murders have happened. Jack heads for his car on the way, he shoots Amy a quick smile. She's taken aback, but... She kind of realises if there is a story here, she has an in. Oh, so Amy. first, Amy goes and interviews Kevin, and oh, it's rough. This He's, is going to go bad. Gabe, can I ask a bit just quickly on Amy? Is this like one of – how experienced is she as a journalist? Is this one of her first gigs? Or? One of her first gigs. Cool. Yeah, that's why she was sent to cover because this was going to be a tacky curiosity story. Yeah. Also, because I get obsessed with it. Colin Hanks is Jack. Yeah, sure. Brie Larson is uh, yep. absolutely Ooh. Amy. Oh. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. 
That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Who's Hank? Uh, I want to go Timothy Oliphant. As Hank? No, Hank's older though. Hank's Hank's like Nick Nolte. Who's like your Cary, modern day Cary Grant? Type? No, wait. No, you said oh, Kevin. Sorry, oh, Kevin's the older guy. Yeah, Kevin's the older guy. Yeah, yeah. Kevin's, I Kevin's feel like, Nick Nolte. I feel like Timothy, Timothy Oliphant's a, oh, good, yeah. a good John Hamm. Oh, John, John Hamm. Hamm. Yeah. Yeah. Real yeah. like 60s style, square jawed, handsome guy. Yeah. 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 yeah, I have a thing for John Hamm's face. Just doesn't everyone. Um, so just first, his face. Just his face. I could take it or leave it. <laughs> Fuck you, Johnny. Yeah. Continue, go. Bridget. Bridget could be like a Meryl Streep or a Helen Mirren type, or maybe a bit younger. Maybe uh, no, nah. Glenn Close. Oh, Glenn Close. Yeah, 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 I can she's, go with that. she's a better Meryl Streep. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Oh, hang on, hang I'll on, stand hang by on. that. Can we just? I'll just stand by that. Sorry to psycho pitch, but Carney's just throwing gauntlets everywhere. Yeah. Like the room is full of them. Um, yeah. Glenn Close is. A better Meryl Streep actor. Yeah, I did. Meryl Streep. I'm a bit over Meryl Streep. No, I'm what? You got them confused. confused. What? Because they're both old white women. Come on, mate. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Are you playing the like? I don't even know what card that is. Is that ages sexist or like racist? I don't know. But going close, she's good. Why is she better than Meryl Streep? Have you seen The Shield? <laughs> I'm going to get back to Psycho now. Bridget's going close. Let's so continue. Go. Amy goes and interviews Kevin, and it's a rough, unpleasant experience. Kevin's basically this belligerent old conservative, and he just wants the whole thing to be forgotten. And what's more, he is convinced that if Jack Bates is in town, he's responsible. There was something wrong with Norman's mother. There was something wrong with Norman. There has to be something wrong with the son. Why else? Who else would do something like this? And besides, Kevin's church buddies with the chief of police, and the chief of police is sure that Jack did this, which means he must have done it. So Amy meets with Jack again. And it's a bit dodgy. The police are following him and they're clearly very suspicious of him. And Amy talks to him and it becomes obvious that she's not scared of him. She doesn't believe he did it. Jack kind of seems amused by this and he asks, why do you think that? Amy can't say. She tells Jack that as they can't pin anything on him, he should just leave town. That way, if there is another murder, God forbid there isn't, but if there is, it won't be pinned on him. 
Jack refuses. He's here for a reason. But he can't seem to tell her what that reason is. Oh, Jack. The next day... I want to love you, but don't break my heart, Jack. The town is rocked by another murder. Oh, Jack. The chief of police, stabbed to death in his office in the middle of the night. Oh, it's not Jack. And now people are really scared and tensions are escalating. Hank doesn't know what to believe, but he seems to be leaning towards the idea that if Jack did do it, even telling Amy, maybe you should stay away from this guy. Because Jack still won't leave town. So Amy takes matters into her own hands. In the dead of the night, she sneaks into the museum, which, by the way, is an active crime scene. And we're, imagine, like, a really tense scene. She's jumping at shadows, you know, things are kind of looming out of the darkness that are nothing. She's very, very scared. And as she walks in the museum and she retraces the steps of the victim, she starts to think. And she leaves the museum and she starts sending some emails. The next day she goes to Hank, who's just come back from talking to Kevin. Jack was at work in a very different city on the day of the murder. In theory, he could have got there that night. But on top of that, he hasn't missed a day of work in weeks which says to her, considering how the murder happened, the killer would have needed inside knowledge of the museum and a reason to be there that night at that time. How did he know those kids would be there? That implies the murder wasn't premeditated and the killer would have had keys. The kids had to break a window to get in. How did the killer get in? There was no sign of forced entry apart from that. The thing is, Hank says none of that is evidence. It's all circumstantial. He could have made that work. And Amy's like, doesn't that seem unlikely? And Hank won't commit either way. He doesn't necessarily think Amy's wrong, but we're starting to get the sense that he does not want to rock the boat no matter what. And as her only confidant, Amy's starting to get frustrated. Has Jack, like, defended himself? No, not at this point. So she finds out that stuff, but he, he's not the one who tells her. The no, truth, he's not. The she, truth she, is she his sends, defense. She sends, sorry, she sends emails, like, around the place, mm-hmm. and being a journalist with her connections, tracks down where he's working. We can make a scene out of this yeah. if we want, if we expand it. So... I like the idea that Jack never says either, either way. Like, like I also like the fact that she doesn't go, did you do it? Because it kind of is a nice relationship yeah. thing. But also that as an audience member, you don't get an answer either way. That would really mm. fucking annoy me. Yep, it's going to annoy you more. Oh. So at this point, Amy gets interrupted by a call from Bridget, the head of the museum board. Bridget meets with her and Bridget is terrified. She didn't want to talk before, but now she's worried that if she doesn't put herself on the record, she will go down as in some way responsible for this. She doesn't know if Jack did it or not, doesn't really care either. What is obvious is that these murders are in some way linked to the opening of the museum. But now she thinks it has to close. She cannot justify staying the course on this when people are dying. She tells Amy, you need to understand, I grew up in this town. I've watched it suffer for years and I honestly thought I could help. I honestly thought this museum would help. But now I'm scared I've really done damage. And I will not profit from people's pain. But here's the thing. The board is trying to open the museum anyway. So Bridget, as the head of the board, who is being overruled, will go into a major newspaper via Amy and denounce the whole thing. So Amy calls her boss and tells him about Bridget and the suspicions about Jack. And finally her boss relents. The story's too good and Amy, with her connection to Jack, is uniquely placed to get full access. So she has his clearance to cover the whole thing. But the next day, Hank publishes an editorial in the local paper, coming down on the side of staying and opening the museum and not bowing down to the demands of the murderer, which implied to be connected to the opening of the museum. So as Amy's preparing her article, she reads Hank's, and she realises that this will probably mean continuing attacks if, as everyone suspects, it's linked to they're trying to stop the museum from opening, but she adamantly refuses to believe it was Jack. She goes to Jack again, and once again she urges him to leave. Can't he see he's becoming somebody's scapegoat? What is he trying to prove by staying in town? What demons does he think he's going to resolve? If this is about his father, Jack laughs. Yeah, my father. Norman Bates. You want to know about my father? He was the kindest man I ever knew. And Amy's taken aback by this. 
And Jack says, of course you know the stories, the monster, the psycho. He was damaged and he was broken, but every day of his life he fought to move away from that. With the help of my mother, and when I got old enough with me, he was the best father I ever could have asked for. And away from his sickness, he was a good, gentle man who just needed to be loved. And I loved him. He taught me everything I know about being a good person. And now I found out that this town, this fucked up, twisted town, wants to turn his problems into some freak show? Come and gasp at the nutcase who killed people in a dress. And by this point, Jack's almost in tears and he collects himself. And he says, look, I get it. I, I really do. The town's dying fine. And if they want to keep digging it up, there's nothing I can do to stop it. All I want to know is that they're at least respecting him. They want to make a museum fine, but he was a person and I do not want that to be forgotten. The town council turned down my request to see the museum early, so I'm here until it opens. Or they confirm it won't open, because then I can go home to my mother and tell her it is okay. My father's name isn't being dragged through the mud anymore. Yeah, you got me. You got me, Gabe. I'm on board. And Amy cannot argue with that. So Jack says, if you want to go and write your story about me, then you can do it. And you can say I was the crazy son of crazy Norman Bates and that you spoke to me and got full access before they locked me up or whatever. It might even make your career. But I am not going anywhere. And Amy understands. She hates it, but she understands. So she tells Jack to be careful, and then she leaves. She goes home, and she looks at her article, and she thinks about her ankle. And there's a knock at the door. It's the police. They take her down to the station, and they show her some photos. Bridget has been stabbed to death. Like all the others. Amy saw her just yesterday. She was the last confirmed person to see her alive. And they grill Amy, but she has nothing. They change tactic. What can you tell us about Jack Bates? Hmm. You've been seen talking to him several times. Amy insists that he's innocent, but she stops short of admitting that she broke into the hotel and potentially tampered with the crime scene. And without being able to back up her theories of why she knew the lad of the hotel and why she could figure out that somebody would need access, the police don't buy her feeble attempts to protect Jack. And as she tries and fails, we see the police going to the hotel where Jack's staying. They arrest him and they take him in for questioning. He arrives at the station just as Amy's leaving. They make eye contact. Amy goes to speak and then gunshot. Jack goes down. <gasps> Amy screams and runs for him. And standing in the crowd, holding a gun, is Kevin. Oh, Kevin. And the police close in on him. And as they do, he yells out, I should have killed you years ago, just like your freak father. Oh. And there's panic. Amy's pulled away from Jack's body. She's horrified. She's heartbroken. And Kevin is taken away, ranting about how now the town can have peace. But this doesn't look anything like peace. Once Amy's released, she doesn't know what to do. She goes and she tries to write her article, but she can't. She keeps thinking about Jack and the murders and all of it, trying to figure it all out. So she calls Hank, and she meets him in the diner, and he's concerned. Nobody should have to see what she saw. Is she okay? He was innocent, Amy says. Well, you don't know that, Hank replies. I do, Amy says, because I know who the real killer is. I don't. <laughs> I don't. This town, Amy says, it means a lot to people. And the town never knew how to grapple with a legacy that defined it. But maybe in the end you needed Norman Bates. You needed something to define you, otherwise you would bleed away. A gimmicky museum was one thing, but a gimmicky museum with stories of murder hanging over it? The allure of a haunted house? That's more than a tourist trap. That's immortal. That's how Norman Bates lives forever. And as people are drawn to that story, as long as he fascinates people, this town exists. Hank says nothing, and we hear a click. Amy's cocked a gun under the table. John Ham, you cheeky motherfucker. You grew up here, Amy says. All these people are your people. You run the newspaper, you mingle with the locals, you make their day, let them see their name in print. You love this town, you love its history, but if it bleeds, its people bleed too. The elderly who will never leave, the young who want to raise their own kids here, you needed that museum to open one way or another and you killed for it. 
you killed for it and you let an innocent man take the fall. And they look at each other for a long time. And Hank smiles. And what, he says, are you going to do about it? Ah, uh, shit. Amy's hand tightens on the gun. You can't shoot me, he says. Well, you can, but then you'll go to jail. And you only throw more fuel on the fire. You only make the mythology bigger. You can go to the police, but who would believe you? You have no evidence outside the circumstantial. Jack Bates was the creepy son of a murderer. I'm everybody's friend. You'll lose, she says. They can't open the museum after this. Not tomorrow, Hank says, or the next day. But sooner or later, people want to see the place where it all happens. They can't help it. Like passers-by stopping to watch a car crash, we cannot look away from the things that scare us. And so, yeah, we'll all make outraged noises about good taste, but eventually that museum will open and people will come and this town will live. All thanks to Norman Bates and his freak son. Now, Hank's smile grows, I think you have an article to write. Oh. Amy stares at him for a long time. Her expression hardens. There are tears in her eyes. And she gets to her feet and she leaves. And she drives away from the town, past the distant Bates Motel, and she keeps driving. Sometime later, Amy arrives in a suburb. She stops at a house and she gets out. She walks up to the front door and she knocks. The woman who answers is old and has clearly been crying. This is Connie, Norman's widow mm-hmm. and Jack's mother. And Amy sits with her and they talk about Jack. And Amy tells her about how she knew him and that she believed he was innocent. That her boss wanted to write an article about his guilt, but she refused. But he told her all about Norman. And Amy is so, so sorry for everything. Connie smiles and embraces her. And then she asks Amy a question. Do you know why I married Norman? Because for all the time I knew him, he never, ever stopped trying to be better. And that is a lot more than I can say for the rest of the world. And as Amy thinks on this, we fade into the Bates Motel and the house on the hill framed against the darkening sky. We hold on it for a moment. And then very slowly... The motel sign flickers mm-hmm. to life. <sighs> I literally got that. <laughs> oh, wow. See, I thought you were about to like fuck us all up royally. And he goes to Connie and she's like, I have some tea. Do you know why I married Norman? Why? Because I'm a psycho killer as well. No, and no, just no. In the throat. Um, but then I realised that, no, you're a better person than that. And, Thanks, man. And thank you. I mean, look, there's, I, I would do a lot more to like, I think I would set up the frame of Jack a lot more clearly. Like, if I was to, to develop it more, like I'd set up more evidence and everything so that like it's clearly linked to him and all kinds of stuff. But I sort of, as I was developing it, I really, really love the idea that Norman Bates had a legacy, but so did Mother. So Norman's legacy was this son who was just a good person and who had nothing but fond memories of his father, but the legacy of his madness and of mother is this fucked up town that has a symbiotic relationship Mm. with him and can't escape it. Like the idea that Norman Bates could move on, but the town he lived in couldn't, I really wanted to play with that. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that. And the idea that at the end, there's nothing Amy can do except walk away because what's she going to do? Like they've won. That, that, that great line of, like, it might not be today or tomorrow, but it'll happen and we'll just wait. And I can wait for as long as it takes. Yes. Like, that's villains that do that thing where it's like, it doesn't have to happen now. Like, I don't mind if this doesn't happen for 50 years. That's okay. Are the best kind of villains because there is absolutely nothing a hero can do to stop the exactly. time. Like exactly. It's just bleak. It is. I told you it was bleak. <laughs> yeah. I told you it was really bleak. 
I I have to say one one thing. I think you need one more suspect. Yeah, I did because kind of realize that. As soon as you were like talking about, it, I was like, the only person left is John Ham. Is Hank? Yeah, and it kind of has to be him. And it has to be him. So I think whether you you frame Kevin or you or you frame Bridget, yeah, as doing it, and then when she does, yeah. it's like, well, wait, hang on, shit, no, it's not Bridget. Yeah, that'd work. Oh my god, and maybe maybe Hank breaks in with. Amy to help search the house. The first yeah, time. definitely. And maybe definitely. that's good. You know, just to give him a couple more. No, nah, it can't be him. It can't be him. Or maybe it's Kevin. Or maybe it's the some. So maybe each time you think it's that person, that character dies. So maybe you think it's the chief of police for a bit. Yeah, and yeah. Then he's gone, or whoever else. Oh, yeah, like in went, a in a fully chief, developed chief script, quick. you could. Sorry, went, chief went quick. He went quicker than I could ask you who the actor is playing. <laughs> I didn't even think of. I, to be honest, like about Timothy half an Elephant. hour before, like as I was putting, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Uh, as I was putting this together, like half an hour before we did this, I was like, "Oh fuck, need a yeah, Chief Police, need another victim." Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah kill him. Why not? <laughs> um, which sort of nicely dovetailed with the Jack stuff. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like the idea that you know you got Norman's son, and of course the cliche is, "Oh, the son, the son." It's of course the son, but no, I like the idea that he's because of course Norman Bates would raise a lovely son. Right. Like, because Norman Bates is a lovely man, and he had a horrible Scorpius mum. Malfoy. I was about to say, yeah. the little yeah. cursed child is in Legacy of Fathers. Uh, yeah, fuck yeah. you guys haven't read it yet, so... <laughs> um, like, it could be anything, right. though. Yeah. Um, but, Gab, that was beautiful. Thanks, man. Um, oh, I feel so bad for Jack. I wanted you to feel bad for yeah, Jack. I really do. I wanted, like... Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of realised as I was, like, developing it, I was like, yeah, Jack's going to die. Because <sighs> at first I thought Jack was going to get away. So I, I like, never trusted him, to be honest. No, I, I'm glad really you did I trust him, and when he died, I was like... Well, I did oh. until he started saying that stuff about... Oh, yeah, he had that nice little bit, yeah. No, no, I, I trusted him completely. I was oh, like, really? no, nah, it won't be him. It's too obvious for it to be him. Okay. There's no way to be him. But it wasn't until he was like, I'm sick of this town trying to make... Yeah. And I'm like, well, maybe he did do it. Maybe he got so angry and was just like, I'm going to start stabbing bitches. No. Gabe, I love that you built a, a, like a poisoned town. It's nice. That's what... And that's... Mm. I, I love the idea of... Because if you actually watch the... Because the town doesn't really figure in the first film, but like yeah. in particularly in Psycho Three, the town is like a big fixture, yeah. and it's a really like desolate kind of desert Californian type town. It's almost like a western town, like it's quite run down and desolate. It's not a nice place, and I like the idea that if you the idea that this town has just rotted for years, like just this corruption has kind of festered at the heart of this town for so long. And the corruption actually isn't necessarily Norman Bates; it's the way they've chosen to respond to Norman Bates, yeah. and the fact that. As much as he's, they talk he's about... The only, he's the thing about the town. Exactly. Come see the town where the guy killed all those people in a dress. Yeah, exactly. And they can't. They, and the town doesn't know how to grapple with that. I love a story like this where the town is essentially like another yeah. character. Do you know yes, what I mean? That's, that's, that's yeah. what I really want to go for is like... Because originally before I saw, sort of thought, you've got to have the scene like the lights of the motel flicking on at the ends to be like, this is going to keep going and going and going. Yeah. But originally I kind of thought that I wanted the ending to be like her driving out of the town, kind of the final shopping of the town and being like, this is a bad place. Mm-hmm. It's a bad place where bad things happen. This is not a place you want to be. Yeah. But they should have gone for a big pineapple. <laughs> That's the tourist. As far as tourist attractions, right? A big pineapple is a lot safer than a memento murder house. Yeah, the big, well, the big banana. Imagine if the Psycho franchise had been set at like a large fruit museum. They <laughs> <laughs> so come into the shower and there's like Marion Crane like bent over the bathtub, just with like bananas in every orifice. <laughs> so whatever night she got bananas. Yeah. What is like bludgeoned to death with a pineapple? <laughs> Magic. That would be. I would probably world. watch that that version of those films. Yeah, I would. I probably wouldn't love them as as, as much. much. But wouldn't there'd be no Psycho two, Tom. There wouldn't be no Psycho two. You haven't seen it. I'm I, I watch just, it now. Oh, I'll, a, I'll, I'll, look, I'll tell you it. this. I'll tell you this. Gabe's never steered me wrong. I know with a recommendation. I I agree. I I'd watched it prior. Whereas to you you enjoyed Hail Caesar, and I, I didn't. Hey. Do you know what though? To, if we're if we're honest, <laughs> yeah. Gabe's recommendations are way better than mine. 
Oh, yeah. Because there's things that I like that I'm like, hey, what'd you think? And you're just like, Preacher, for example. Yeah. X Men Apocalypse for another one. I'm not saying it's a good film. I'm just. No, you had a pleasant time, though. I did have a pleasant time. Just as bad. Yeah, really. I think the reason I enjoyed Hail Caesar is actually your fault. Because I missed the first 20 minutes. Well, that. I thought I missed five minutes. Yeah, you've missed And then I've talked to people about it since, and they're like, wait, what? You missed He missed the whole first act and then didn't enjoy the film. Yeah. Well, that's probably why. Thank well, you. I f- but he's explained it to me, and I've gone. You know what? No, nah. yeah. I nah. missed no, like the first act of Warcraft, and I don't think it would have explained anything. Oh better. no, you missed a, you uh, would have like oh, Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's complete. I thought you were being <laughs> serious for a moment. There, it's complete shit. Oh. <laughs> would there, would you ever do sequels to Psycho? Your Psycho? Would there be more? I don't think it needs it. Like I. It's 2016. Oh, no. Everything has a sequel. Yeah, no, I know, but it's like, Amy, take those motherfuckers down. No, no, this is the point no, is that she doesn't. She, you can't win. Yeah. The point is that she can't win. You warned like, us it was bleak. I did. I told you it was bleak. It and hurt, the idea is that the, the good I'll guys honest, hurt me. They do not win, and that's it. She she does not win. She walks away defeated because the fact is, if she was to kill Hank or if she was to take him to the police or anything, it would just keep going. It would like I love the idea that this legacy has just defined this town yeah. because it would grow again. The guy yeah. who tried to open the psycho house was also exactly. infected. Like and Norman. then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And in fact, the sa- the only option she has at this point is to walk away. Because if she does anything, it's just going to bring the story more into the light. And as Hank said, it's just going to solidify the mythology more. And then it's not only, oh, Norman Bates happened. It was like, oh, and then 20 years later, Norman Bates did more murders. And then you won't believe it. Another 20 years, another 30 years later... His son. His son. And the fucking newspaper bloke. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like, a, uh, not Shaun of the Dead, what's the other one in the trilogy? Uh, Hot Fuzz? Yeah. Yeah. How the, how the town is in on it at the end. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot Fuzz is brilliant. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. It's one of the best ever. Have you ever pointed your gun in the air and gone up? But yeah, anyway, look, that's my, um, that's my psycho. And I don't, like, I, when we did the nightmare pitch, I left that open for sequels. I don't think I'd bother writing them, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave a door open if you want to do more of these, do it. Beautiful. Thanks, man. But in this case, no, this is, this is a beginning, middle and end. This is, and somebody wants to write a sequel to this, I guess they're more than welcome to. It's a franchise. This, if it's going to get resurrected now, it's probably going to get resurrected again at some point. Jack's daughter. Jack's daughter. Yeah. Illegitimate daughter. I was actually, I was actually originally going to have Jack have, because Amy and Jack didn't have sex, but I was going to have that we saw on screen. Didn't happen. Um, the person who takes over from me can do that. But yeah, I was actually going to have Jack having, like, a young family okay. back at the town. Yeah. Like, I didn't actually have time to kind of fit it in there, but, like, I was going to have him having, like, a wife and a young child. But I think that, I think the tragedy kind of gets over-egged at that point. I think if yeah. he doesn't have a family, it's, it's easier to suspect him. Yeah, which yeah. I think is important. Yeah. And you already hurt me enough. Don't give him a family. That'll hurt me. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Don't make sure. There's right. only so much his heart can handle <laughs> Um, you've, tackled, you've tackled a few horror franchises, Gabe. What else is in the... Uh... I have no idea. Like, I actually... Because I've done, I've done Jaws, I've done yeah. Saw, I've done Psycho, I've done Hannibal, and yeah. I've done... Nightmare. N- uh, Nightmare. So now I'm like... What I was thinking... There? Paranormal look, Activity? I haven't seen any of those films. I, was, I want to do all the classics. So I wanted to... I was thinking, like, just for the sake of being completionist, I was like... Halloween or Friday the 13th, mm. neither of which are franchises I was ever passionate about yeah, in the same way as these other ones. The only other franchises I can think of, maybe. Yeah. I, the only other horror franchises I can think of that I'm really passionate about and would love to put a stamp on are The Exorcist mm. and The Omen. Oh, the, 
The no, Omen. I the garbage trash TV show. No, I hated it. It was a piece of shit. I, I loved it as a fan, but I watched it being like, this is the worst TV show. How did this shit get made? They should have let me write this. True. But no, I love the Omen trilogy. The original three films I really, really love. Probably more than The Exorcist, actually. See, is Paranormal Activity done its dash, though? Like, did they wrap it up? Like, I, I watched the first one. I've seen the most seen recent. The one. What's the most recent one? What number is that? I've seen that one. 27. Five? Yeah, shit. See, my, my whole thing is that, like, people are like, oh, Paranormal Activity is really crap. I shit myself watching that film. That's oh, yeah. I'm not good at horror films. But oh, like, I can't do horror. Oh, oh, The Ring. I could do The Ring. Oh, I don't even want to talk about The Ring. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that is a scary, <laughs> scary film. Ring theory? Yeah. yeah. You don't. Yeah, yeah. What's your ring theory? I think I explained in the last podcast. <laughs> I won't go into it again here. Um, about how when I watched it, I didn't deliberately didn't watch the tape. So that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. couldn't then be killed because yeah, I hadn't yep. seen it. And you still haven't seen it. It's clever. Oh. No, don't well, I mean, we've all seen it and we're not dead, so. Yeah. I haven't seen I, it and I never will. No. Because I like sleeping. My, my thing about Paranormal Activity, though, have they, have they done it or is there, like, room for a more? Well, I, I think yeah, I don't know. every well, movie has different characters in it. How, the what's first the basic movie... setup? Because the one I just saw, which I think is the fifth one, yeah, they, like, found a camera in the house that they live in. It's all kind of found footage. And the first one is set in a house where mm. they're, like, recording each other and, yeah, all this weird stuff starts happening. And then yeah. the first all those great. characters the first get killed. The first one's really, really good. I think I haven't there's seen different endings to it as well. Yeah. It? Yeah. It's, and then the second one, which I have seen for some reason, is set in the same house but with different families. So it's an inbuilt franchise. Like, you don't need any of the same well, characters. I've seen a couple. don't know why. I've seen weird numbers of horror films, someone who hates horror films. Yeah. But it's like it's like they kind of they do a bit of a psycho thing in that the the main girl from the first one who is so the whole idea is that this demon is possessing what you believe is the house, but it's actually the girl is possessed by this demon. It's followed her whole life and almost weird and basically mm-hmm. it ends with her killing her husband and she kind of oh, continues so on this scary. rampage. Uh so in, in in one sense, it does a psycho thing and then it gets to the point where it just completely jumps the shark and by the end like she's recruited an entire neighborhood. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm probably good. Yeah, to be sure. honest. Yeah. Don't want to do a. See, Gabe's good because he thinks it sounds shit. I'm good because it sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would, how do you go watch a psycho? Do you? Are you scared? Uh, I watched it a few years ago, like film school. So I did the yeah, whole taking too. the notes yeah. business, yeah. which kind uh, of it's, helps out a bit. The no, first, it's okay. Just like for a moment, like just to give the first one its due. It is such a good film. Oh, it's oh, true. The first film. one. Yeah. It's and I distinctly is it your remember. It's oh yeah, by none. It's probably oh, my favorite. It, it could be my favorite movie. Like Ooh. it's because Whoa. look, I've got five favorite movies, yeah. and can I guess them? Please do. So Psycho, yep. obviously. Can I Jaws? help you? Or you? Yep, you got it. Uh, oh, I want to say Silence or Man Eater. No, 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 no. Man Eater or Man Hunter. <laughs> Silence is in there though. Silence has to be. In yep, there. Silence is in there. Is Jurassic Park in there. No. No, because we had this argument last time. No, but he loves it. Yeah, he loves it, but not that it's much. It's not in the top five, though. The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, what have we got so far? Jaws. Jaws. Psycho. Psycho. Silence. Silence. Um, Is there another Hannibal one in there? No. Jaws oh. 2? No. Psycho 2? No. <laughs> Jaws 3 <and> Revenge. <laughs> I'm going to be Actually, so annoyed. Jaws 4 with Jaws Revenge. Jaws, Jaws so 3D. Get your Jaws' yeah. right. I'm going to be so angry when he tells us what the other two are. Oh. Yeah, okay. How I recent? One of them, one of them I'm surprised you don't get. Hang on, Alien? No. Clue of some kind, please. The, it's in Bruges and Inglorious Bastards. Oh, fair. Okay. That's yeah. not a clue. See, <laughs> I don't know why we didn't think in Bruges. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, don't know why. Yeah, I could get why you wouldn't get Inglorious, but it, because like the thing is, of those five films, I actually can't decide which one of them is my favourite. 
You wake like, up every day and it's a new one, right? It's a new one, yeah. yeah. Like, I could make a compelling argument as why any of those films are my all-time favourite film. Probably Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. If I had to, if I was really hard-pressed to pick one. It's because you like lotion, but isn't it? I do like lotion, and I do like <laughs> it putting the lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, I don't know. I just think, like, Silence and Imbrugge probably... But so does Jaws. I, see, I, I can't, I can't yeah. even get into this. Oh, I can't argue yeah. with myself. Yeah. But, yeah, like, the first Psycho, I watched it at a double bill at the Astor... Not long ago with a bunch of friends who hadn't seen it. And it was like a full cinema. And what was, it was the second film? The Birds. Oh, cool. And Psycho was first, then The Birds. Yeah. And what was so funny was getting in there and watching Psycho. And you know what's like in the Astro when it's an old film and you get all the dickheads who like laugh at all the dated stuff and everything. Sure. And there was a bit of that. But when we got to shower scene, from then on it was totally silent. Yeah. And you could see the people who at the end who had never because the thing is everyone what I actually think about Psycho, which is so good, is that they talk about how the shower scene is such a famous twist. It's like up there with the Luke, I'm your father stuff. That it's in some ways it's actually preserved the real twist of the yeah, film. Yeah, when There's I saw it, of, I didn't exactly, know the twist. People do not know that Norman Bates is actually his mother. And so when it got to the end, there were a lot of people in the cinema being like, wait, what? Like people losing their shit. And yeah, Psycho true. had this whole audience on tenterhooks for the whole film. The birds, within 20 minutes, everybody was laughing their heads off and that did not stop. Like the birds is so dated. Oh, yeah. Psycho actually holds up beautifully. I have to say, if I had to pick mine, my favourite would be either either Rear Window or North by Northwest. Rear Window holds up really well. North by Northwest, I don't think does that much. I, I really like I really it. Don't get me wrong. It. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's 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 awesome. It's ass. great fun. Like you know that Hitchcock was asked to direct Doctor No, the first James Bond, and they were like, and they they asked him, and he was like, already did it with Rear Window. <laughs> with, uh, sorry, with North by Northwest. Northwest. Yeah, would have been good there. Oh wow. So I guess ultimately that's my um my rambling idea for Psycho Five, a would film you, I've probably wanted to write since I was a kid. In the sorry, I know you're about to, you're trying to wrap this up, and I just keep asking you more inane <laughs> questions. <laughs> go, but go I'm going to ask mate. one more. Uh, would you kill people in, in real ways life? that? <laughs> no. <laughs> would you kill people? Sean, he's not going to tell you that. I thought oh. that's where Tom was going. Would you kill you're people next. in a manner in the in the in the film? In the film, yeah, in a manner akin to other psycho deaths. Well, paying tribute. The thing about it is, all the psycho deaths are kind of the same. Yeah. They all are exactly the same. It's all just showers. The, no, it's not that. It's just <laughs> it's just knives. Like it's yeah. it's a big carving knife, and it's <clears throat> use a chainsaw, you know, Gabe. But it's like it's it's always pretty much the same in every single film, and that's I think why Psycho is not a horror franchise that really is sustainable in the same way that like Saw or something is because. Why do you go to horror? You go to horror to be scared and to watch imaginative deaths and gore. And Psycho doesn't have much room for that because it's literally just people being stabbed. Could you push someone down a set of stairs, though? I, I'm a, yeah. I suppose. Like, the kids maybe in the, at the, in the first scene, because they're going up the stairs and going in there. One so. of them could get stabbed and one of them could run and get... But look, if there's one thing I would not Is want to repeat scary? from the first Psycho, it's the guy toppling down the stairs, because let's face it, that was ridiculous. It's still ridiculous. They and, tried to make it less and, ridiculous and in awesome, the remake, so. and it was... More ridiculous. We're talking about if you hit the stair at the right angle, you break your spine. Hitchcock says it at the start of the film, Gab. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, but somehow he manages to stay upright while going down the stairs <laughs> the whole way. Gab, okay, don't question it. It's beautiful, all right? Oh, it's great. I love it. I won't yeah. fold it. I'm done with my nine questions now, just to go. Well, through. cool. We can wrap up. Um, <laughs> and on that note, I've been Gabe. I've been Tom. I've been Sean. I've been Elise. And if you guys have any ideas about the Psycho franchise or if you liked or hated my pitch or if you have your own pitches, email us in at sanspensradio at gmail.com or you can tweet us at sanspensradio or our personal Twitters. I'm at Gobergmoser. I'm at Awkward Treed. I'm at Sidekick of Dowie. I'm at, at Elise AT. And yeah, feel free to uh, send us whatever you want and we'll probably read it and retweet it and like it and get emotional that you're talking to us. Bye. <laughs>
If you think this show is worth at least a dollar, why not donate to our Patreon account? Follow the links on our website, sanspantsradio.com. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.